in British Columbia, there are so many barriers when it comes to recovery because you finish your program, you graduate, great, where are you gonna go? So many places don't have secondary housing and then they're back in the shelter and then they're back at square one and the cycle just continues. Welcome to the show, Amanda. I'm so happy to have you. I'm really intrigued by your life and some of the work that you do. I really wanted to um, kind of get your story out there for people to hear. I guess my first question for you would be, can you tell us a little bit about your experience growing up, your upbringing? Yeah, so I was raised by a single father. Um, I grew up in a very small community. Um, my mother kind of disappeared from a picture uh, when I was about five to seven. Um, she was still there on and off. That being said, my whole maternal family has struggled with substance use throughout my life, which that is what inspired me to work with mental health and substance use. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing that for the last seven years. I feel like substance use is such a touchy subject, but I think it's also so relevant in our lives today. How has your experience been? Yeah, so it's actually kind of interesting. So I never had a passion or want to work with mental health and substance use until I was in my first year of university. I had actually gotten a practicum placed in a homeless shelter and that was in 2018 and back then my mindset was similar to a lot of people in society and I was like you know just get a job you bum and just like very negative mindset thinking and then I educated myself and just kind of put myself in a position where I was surrounded by the less fortunate and it totally changed my mind and just being surrounded around people that have lost everything in their lives was just mm -hmm. super it was a like pivotal moment in my life where I definitely changed as a person yeah so I never wanted to work with this and it just happened to be my placement and I was upset about it and my teacher was like you know what Amanda I thought my worst practicum or my first practicum was my worst practicum but it was the one I learned the most from so I just like kind of went in with that mindset and I just started listening to people's stories how they got there yeah and it just really opened my eyes to what's really going on in this world and it's a very complex topic for sure and a lot goes into it when you're taken out of your bubble of like comfort and what you're used to i feel like it allows you to learn so many things and just take new perspectives and it sounds like that's what you were able to do with that practicum so after you did that what was your next step in your career yeah, so I continued to work at that homeless shelter, actually. They hired me after my practicum, and I was employed there for about three years. And then I moved um, back to Kelowna, which I continued the field, um, working in a supportive housing unit. 
um, which I did also do when I was going to school in Vancouver. And then I kind of always wanted to work with youth um, due to some childhood experiences. So I got my foot in the door working with youth services um, in like a one-on-one -on -one residential home. And at that point, I, I did learn the differences of working with youth versus adults, which I had been doing for the last few years prior to that. Um, and then I did that for two years and now I'm back working with adults with mental health and substance use and uh, low barrier shelters and complex care housing, which is a newer program in BC. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually just finishing up my Bachelor of Social Work through the University of Victoria right now as well. I would really like to stick with mental health and substance use, maybe in the hospital yeah. or some sort of situation like that, as people who use substances are treated very poorly in the healthcare system. So many times in the shelter, I've seen individuals be septic and literally going to die but they rather just not go because of the uh, maltreatment that they get by hospital um, providers which is really unfortunate and i mean it's not just the hospital that treats people that have mental health and substance use poorly yeah but it's definitely something that needs to change there's a huge stigma around substance use. In class, we had learned about how a lot of people think that that homelessness is a result of substance use, but actually we learned that in a lot of cases, it's actually when someone is not given like the right conditions to live and like to prosper, that will lead to them using substances. And it's like this vicious cycle. So what do you think about, you know, there's like a whole culture, I think of blaming homeless people for being homeless or for being in that situation. What do you think about that? Yeah, so that's a big one. Um, so yes, absolutely. When a person has no access to a house, like just put yourself in that perspective. If you had no home, mm -hmm. um, then you're not able to like wander yourself and have hygiene and be able to eat correctly and it's just if a person doesn't have a roof over their head that's like a huge barrier to so many things you can't get a job um you know if you don't have a fixed address you know like there's so many things that play into it so like that's kind of where supportive housing comes in giving people the access to like food shelter water like those basic human necessities within my like seven years of experience working um in low barrier shelters homelessness um i would say 90 percent of the people that i work with experience severe severe childhood trauma Mm -hmm. um, so your brain actually changes. Uh, so at a young age, say a person who is eight years old, or often it happens younger, like very young and throughout into adulthood. Um, when a person is sexually, physically, psychologically abused, um, that changes your brain structure. structure. And so then it affects like your amygdala and your prefrontal cortex and many parts of the brain which then affects like your memory and your like problem solving or your ability to think rationally mm -hmm. so a lot of people just can't like not even without substances like just their their brain growing up 
has given them this disadvantage and then people end up using substances to mm. cope with the pain from that um, also physical pain as we know the overprescribing of opioids has caused has had a huge impact of what we're seeing today it's trauma but it's childhood trauma and those are your formative years like those are the years that you're developing that like you're forming these brain connections that are mostly going to be with you for the rest of your life so i think it's important to consider those things even just if someone is not given like if they're not in a good socioeconomic position you know they're living in poverty it's really tough and i think it's also just um, very stigmatized still in our society. Have you seen success in the supportive housing? Having seen it yourself, like firsthand, do you think it's working or do you think there are gaps? Um, there are definitely gaps in services for sure. Um, I know this is a very touchy subject, but you know, as a person who has worked on the front lines of this opioid epidemic, whatever you want to call it, for the last however many years. Yes and no. When you take individuals off the street and give them access to food, shelter, water, um, resources, um, in that aspect, yes, then they have their one step closer to being successful. But on the other hand, I have witnessed you take, um, so most supportive housing units uh, house 35 to 40 people and there's two staff on. Um, lots of these people that were on the street are now being put behind a closed door, um, which increases, in my opinion, um, in my experience, increases um, opioid um, toxicity deaths. So... I've experienced a lot of overdoses, um, fatal ones in supportive housing. So I'm very, I would say I have a biased opinion on supportive housing. Um, and I know a lot of people in my field do as well. Um, is it working? Clearly not. Um, the homeless population isn't getting better. Um, it's getting worse. Deaths are continuing to rise. There is new programs in place in British Columbia called Complex Care Housing, which that model is for those individuals who you don't have to have a diagnosed mental health condition, but um, say those individuals who are too vulnerable to be on the street, um, they've been kicked out of the shelters because of their mental health. Um, is just too like too loud and disruptive for being in a shelter with however many other people. Um, so that um, program operates on like a much smaller scale where there's two staff for like four to seven um, participants. So the level of care that individuals will be able to receive is much higher. Um, and then that's partnered with Interior Health as well. So they have access to um, like a nurse practitioner, recreation therapist, um, indigenous support workers. There's a couple other healthcare professionals that um, is conjoined in that complex care housing team. So I've definitely seen some more success operating out of complex care housing than I have, say, like uh, supportive housing. Yeah, it sounds like they're doing more of like a interdisciplinary 
or I guess multidisciplinary approach, which I think is great. Um, it's one thing to have like a doctor on a team. You need to have, you know, nurses, mental health counselors, social workers. Um, you know, there's just so much that goes into treating someone like holistically, I think. I'm sure you've experienced a lot of probably traumatic things at work. And I think it's important for people to understand like the gravity of the situation. What is maybe one of the experiences that has like touched you the most? Um, yeah, definitely. It is very emotionally tolling. Um, I would say the biggest part of the work that I do is there aren't a lot of major success stories. There's little successes like taking your meds in the morning one day, um, but it is not super often that I see big successes due to the fact that I'm in a low barrier shelter. And a lot of people um, in low barrier shelters are maybe not ready at that time to think about detox and treatment or just really working in that active um, substance use. I don't see a lot of people become non-reliant on substances and connect back with their families and see their children again. And, you know, all of that is somewhere I don't see. So for me, it's very hard to see people only at the worst spot they're at in their life. Um, it's pretty emotional. There's probably been one time where working with a youth that I worked with for a year and a half who aged out of the foster care system. He used substances and had a couple mental health concerns. And you know, youth at the age 17, 18 using substances, it's hard to connect sometimes. And that individual I saw go to treatment multiple times, he was sober. Maybe he wouldn't accept it then, but one day I knew that I would have an impact on his life. Yeah. And probably about earlier this year in February, so he's been aged out for over a year now, um, he actually emailed me and said that he missed me and... Um, I don't remember everything that he said, but he thought about me. So I would say that that to me was a success, um, not necessarily for him, as he still unfortunately is in um, active substance use. Mm -hmm. But for me, knowing that the work that I did for a year and a half made an impact on him and whatever um, was going on for him at that time, he thought of me and reached out to me. Um, through email so I cried you know like that was super rewarding in a way you could say because yeah. he had reached out um but yeah it's definitely there's more bad times than good times absolutely he you know felt comfortable enough to reach out to you and I think that's like incredible and I've told you before that like this work that you're doing is so admirable and it's not it's not for everyone like and some people maybe won't understand it like it because it, it seems I think hopeless at times like like in class when we were learning about some of the ways that people 
reach homelessness or start to use substances, it's really, really difficult for them to get out of it. And I think like the system is set up in a way where they're kind of like doomed in a sense. There's definitely um, a lot of things that the government has done, which a lot of people don't necessarily agree with, which is like the legalization of um, small amounts of substance in British Columbia, the decriminalization. I know that a lot of people don't understand that, don't agree with it. And like, don't get me wrong, I'm a taxpayer as well, but working in this field and understanding um, like the reason that is in place, maybe I'll touch on that a little bit because I know like that's a hot topic. So essentially, we know that the body like psychologically and physically becomes dependent on substances so you know opiates have extremely terrible withdrawal symptoms i myself have never um, struggled with substance use so i can't um, speak on what it feels like from an internal perspective however i have seen it and mm -hmm. it is not pretty and that is like the biggest deterrent of people getting sober today yeah um, the withdrawals that you go through like and you know nobody wants to experience that and many people who do end up um, sober um, and substance free they've done that over and over again so it's like people know what it's like reach a point where they um, don't use substances and then you know it could you can be sober for eight 15 years and one thing happens and you're back to where you were however many years ago so the law was put in place because we know the body needs substance to even just to get to later today what time is it it's 1 15 um, if somebody used opiates they could be withdrawing in six hours yeah um, obviously dependent on like your tolerance and whatever. So we know that people just need that little bit, that little bit to just, you know, not be sick on the street or whatever in your home. So that law was to reduce like the burden on the criminal justice system. So to have a person in custody. So this was a little a few years ago, so I imagine those inflation rates rose as well, um, was like $315 per day per person. Um, I'm going to assume it's probably in the 400s now. So why would you incarcerate a person for having a small amount of substances for their personal use to just get to later today? Um, so for those people that um, view substance users as a burden to the system and like a waste of their tax dollars and whatever negative stigmatizing thoughts that you may have just think about like yeah like the tax dollars that you're saving from these people being put in jail for surviving yeah so there, that's kind of where that comes in um it is like reduces the burden for you know definitely like money when it comes to incarcerating people um, obviously, like there's more to it than that, just that, um, but I would say that's definitely one of the big things. And like somebody that is carrying a small amount, like you're you're not a harm to anybody, you know. Like you're not going to be at risk of like um, like violence and gangs, you know. You're just mm -hmm. 
just trying to survive. And not only that, but like research has shown that criminalizing a substance does not mean that it doesn't deter a person from using it. So I think that's like maybe an argument that people who are pro-criminalization will will make, but it's just not the case. Like people will get their hands on it either way. When someone is incarcerated, they lose everything. Like they have a criminal record, they um, maybe lose support from friends, family. They might, and then once they're released, let's say they are given the opportunity, like they did their time, they're released, a lot of the times they don't have anything when they come out. So what do you do in that case? And then people will start using substances because they're on the streets. They don't have a home. They're ostracized from society in a sense. And so it's just like this cycle. That's something that I have experienced a lot in the work that I do. Um, you know, people going and people actually, when it come approaching now, when it gets cold, people will um, purposely try to get themselves arrested so they can go to um, be in a warm place. Uh, the shelters are full. It's it's just really sad. It's a vicious cycle. People will do things. So obviously not everybody, but it's something that I've seen. It's something that I've heard. Um, people purposely, you know, then they get food, water, shelter, warm. Um, so that's super sad. And then whatever, obviously you're not going to be there for a long time if it's like um, minor. Um, and then exactly, like not only have I experienced people going in and out of the criminal justice system into the shelter, um, same thing with like treatment and you know, you lost ties to all your families, you go to detox, you go to treatment, you have nowhere to go. In British Columbia, there are so many barriers when it comes to recovery because you finish your program, you graduate, great, where are you going to go? So many places don't have secondary housing. So, um, you know, we do have some. I did my practicum in a women's treatment center in Maple Ridge and they had a second stage home. So there, there I did see some success. Um, and some of those people I still do contact today. But yeah, it's definitely, where do they go? And then they're back in the shelter and then they're back at square one and the cycle just continues. Um, and that's where it's really hard when people are just like so negative towards um people experiencing homelessness it's like yeah. they have been on the bottom for so long and i have met more kind people that are homeless because they know what it's like to be hungry they know what it's like to have no home they know what it's like to lose all their friends and family they they've been alone they've been to the deepest darkest places in their lives Obviously, there are some homeless people or people who use substances who are not very nice, but that is a very like minor population. In my experience in the last seven years, I have only really ever experienced like maybe maybe ten um, like violent or aggressive people, and that's out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and multiple different communities that I've worked in. I've learned so many valuable lessons. Um, from vulnerable people and I think that's something people are always just scared of them and I mean obviously yeah there are some scary people but there's lots of scary people that aren't homeless and lots of scary people that don't use substances. I think it's definitely something that people need to learn more about for them to understand. Exactly and you know like if you offer to just like buy them a coffee it's like they're so used to people just like 
shitting on them that it's like oh wow there is a good person out there like this person just bought me coffee and like you know everybody maybe not everybody but you know like there are so many grateful people out there because like i said they know they've experienced the worst and they know that they get treated poorly so a majority of them don't want to treat people that way you know like treat others the way that you would like to be treated um that being said i understand like there are a lot of scary people out there um but that's typically me like mental health there's so much mental health in substance use and having you know like especially with the closure of the psychiatric hospitals um like in the 80s so many people were just put out yeah. and like with the expectation that these mentally unwell people are just going to show up for their their appointments and get their mental health injection like that is a huge barrier and that is a huge um contribution to the homeless um problem that we see today um it's really it's not the person people always blame the the substance user and it's like the government has honestly like made it this way like going back um looking at to yeah the closures of mental health institutions um due to human rights and then there's like social housing that was closed down back in the 80s um and now again that is where supportive housing kind of comes back in but had they not closed down all of those social housing to bring sky rises in Vancouver the homeless population has increased due to inflation um you know covid um a lot of people lost their homes uh, that being said i there's a lot of people right now that are on the streets and in the system that do not use substances there are oh, i got goosebumps there are um people in their 70s 80s no mental health no substance use and they are homeless it's 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 tough you know oh, i'm going to get all sad but like that's just the reality of it like you know the way that things are going are not good and something needs to change like the funding the government's funding i don't know what they think but it's definitely not going to the right places like build more treatment centers you know make more affordable housing and when i say affordable i don't mean $2000 a month that's not affordable I think it's really easy for people to look at other people um living in homelessness or who use substances and just think like wow they they really messed up they really ruined their lives it's such a an ignorant way to look at things because a person's like circumstances and the and the way that that they've been shaped like is so important their environment what they're predisposed to maybe you know mental health disorders not only the genetic side of it but also like the nurture aspect and how were they brought up like what was what was their attachment style to their parents were they neglected were they abused you know everyone has their own kind of trauma and when you realize that a person is is a result so much a result of their circumstances and the circumstances of their life I think that's when you can actually like 
look at it like in a more human way and try to understand. That's exactly it. Like, um, that's something people don't really understand. They're, you know, like the typical person who is like against um, substance use um, and uneducated and haven't put themselves in the position where they can learn. Um, and that's exactly it, like learned behaviors. Um, we have learned behaviors from our parents, you know, we um, learn to put our dishes in the sink or dishwasher after we're done using them. Um, we learn when to use our pleases and thank yous. We learn to look both ways before crossing the road. So those are things that we're taught. We watch our parents do things. We watch people around us growing up do things. So when you grow up and your father beats you, that's a learned behavior. So you learn that that is okay to do to other people. So then you grow up and you continue that. You carry that on because to you, that's, that's typical. That was every day. You don't know right from wrong. Um, and you know, that goes for all type of like, um, all physical abuse, um, sexual abuse, whatever it is. And, you know, when a person is raised in a family where both um, parents use substances, you know, that's a learned behavior as well. You learn that drinking alcohol or using substances, how are you ever going to know anything otherwise? Like, if that's what you watched your whole life, how do you know that you can, you know, go on vacations or go to university? You don't know anything outside of what you know. I think the work that you're doing is really important. It's so relevant. I'm really proud of you.